This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the life, death, and personality of Sam Kinison? So first I'll look at the background of Sam Kinison, then I'll move to my analysis. Sam Kinison was born in Yakima, Washington on December 8, 1953. His father was a Pentecostal preacher. He had a younger brother and two older brothers. When Sam was three months old, his family moved to East Peoria, Illinois. At age three, Sam was hit by a truck and suffered permanent brain damage. When he was 11, Sam's parents divorced. His two older brothers, Bill and Richard, went to live with Sam's father, but Sam stayed with his mother and his remaining younger brother, Kevin. Being separated from his father, as well as his brothers, greatly affected Sam. He wanted to go with his father. His father was his hero. Sam attended high school, but never graduated. He took an interest in becoming a Pentecostal preacher, just like his father. He attended an unaccredited, interdenominational, three-year Bible school in New York. All of his brothers became preachers as well. Sam's mother remarried. Her new husband was also a preacher. They moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Sam lived there with them for a while. He started preaching at age 17, adopting a fire and brimstone style. So this is a style kind of based on fear, trying to convince people that they're going to burn in hell, and they won't burn in hell if they follow a moral code. So kind of a dramatic speaking style, usually with a high volume in terms of voice projection. We see that Sam Kinison would often shout in the middle of his preaching. Interestingly, his brother said that Sam did not have a stage presence. It appears as though he might have been okay at being a preacher, but didn't really have the connection with the audience, and he didn't like asking for money. Even though Sam preached for about seven years, he did not have one year where he earned more than $5,000. His brothers sometimes earned that much in a week. As I understand it from the documentary, I Am Sam Kinison, we see that Sam's brother Bill is talking about being a preacher, and it appears as though they would go to different locations, different churches, and they would get half of the money that they could get donated. So they'd convince the people there to give them money They'd split that 50-50. So it had some similarities to other businesses where people go around and perform. Sam Kinison married in 1975 and was divorced in 1980, allegedly because his wife had an affair. His divorce was a turning point for him. He was emotionally devastated. In addition, being divorced made him unpopular as a minister. He had already been banned from a few churches for telling jokes so he decided to give comedy a try. His early comedic performances were in small clubs in Houston, Texas. He was part of the Comedy Workshop, which was a group of comedians that was popular in the early 80s. Other members included Jimmy Pineapple, Ron Schock, and Bill Hicks. Sam moved to Los Angeles in 1980. He was interested in working for another comedy club called The Comedy Store in West Hollywood, California, a famous location. The comedy store was well-known among 
comedians trying to get a start in that industry. He did end up getting a job there, but it was as a doorman. He wasn't really funny at all when he first started. They gave him a try, so he ended up being the doorman for about five years. During that time, he worked on his material, trying to build up enough minutes of quality material to put together a proper act. Sam started using cocaine and drinking. His usage became highly problematic. His brother Bill moved to Los Angeles in order to help Sam pull together and continue his career as a comedian. Bill became his manager. Sam married again in 1981. This time, his marriage would last until 1989. In 1984, Sam was featured in the HBO Roddy Dangerfield Comedian Special. He received positive reviews for his performance. He appeared on Late Night with David Letterman the next year. This appearance was really his big break. So Rodney Dangerfield helped get him in the door, and then David Letterman really helped make him famous. At this point, Sam's career really started taking off. In 1986, he had a small role as a college professor in the movie Back to School. Rodney Dangerfield was the star of that film. Sam's character displayed his typical obnoxious screaming routine that Sam was known for. As I mentioned before, Sam's second marriage lasted until 1989. Sam started a relationship with a dancer right before that marriage ended. He would marry that dancer on April 4, 1992. This takes us to April 10, 1992, just six days after he was married for the third time. Sam was driving a white 1989 Pontiac Trans Am, and his wife was in the passenger seat. He was not wearing a seatbelt. His wife was wearing a seatbelt. Sam was under the influence of alcohol, cocaine, Xanax, Valium, and codeine. They were northeast of Needles, California, on U.S. Route 95, four miles north of Interstate 40. They were headed to Nevada so that Sam could perform at a show that was sold out. Coming the other way was a pickup truck operated by a 17-year-old named Troy Pearson. Pearson had been consuming alcohol. Pearson drove his pickup truck across the center line as he was attempting to pass another vehicle. He traveled into Sam's lane. Their vehicles would collide head-on. As a result of that impact, both Sam and his wife were knocked unconscious. It was reported by Bill, who had been following behind Sam in another vehicle, that Sam said, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, after which there was a pause as if Sam was processing a response to his words. He then said, but why? He paused again and then said, okay, okay, okay. Sam Kinnison would die a few moments later. He was 38 years old. His wife had a mild concussion. She would recover. Troy Pearson also survived. He eventually would plead guilty to one count of vehicular manslaughter with gross negligence. His driver's license was suspended for two years. He performed 300 hours of community service and had to serve one year on probation. He did not receive any jail time. Now moving to my analysis. Sam Kinison was a controversial comedian. Some people found him to be anti-women, anti-gay, and anti-religion. Others saw his work as an art form. He was simply a pioneer in comedy. One argument we see with Sam is really about what is funny and what is not. Every comedian is not trying to make some type of social statement. Many are just trying to be humorous. For Sam, it was probably a little bit of both. 
These days, some people still find his work funny. Other people are deeply offended by him. I think he was definitely the kind of comedian that people either loved or hated. There was no in-between with Sam Kinison. He was willing to go beyond the limits of what would normally be considered acceptable. Robin Williams joked about Sam Kinison one time, saying that Sam would see the edge and just keep going. The scream that he was famous for was just the sound he made on the way down. Sam definitely pushed the limits. He was described as fearless. In addition to pushing limits of comedy, he pushed the limits of drug use. His use of cocaine and alcohol increased dramatically as he became famous. This image probably helped him to become more popular, especially when considering he was in with the rock and roll crowd. Drug use is common in that industry, so he seemed to fit right in. As far as the nature of his comedic act, Sam Kinison has been described as ferocious, loud, obnoxious, unrefined, simplistic, lowbrow, unsophisticated, and overconfident. He seemingly did not care about what the audience thought about him, which is quite rare for a comedian. Most comedians are trying to get the audience to like them. Sam Kinison was permanently antagonistic. He seemed to go out of his way to get people to dislike him. That was part of his routine. Sam often wore baggy t-shirts, a long coat, and a beret. He would often deliver his trademark scream as part of his act. He referred to the scream as his thing. His use of expletives was pronounced. He particularly enjoyed shouting them. During his act, he was known for going on semi-incoherent rants, randomly singing versions of songs, and then wandering off on tangents. There was no need to interpret or discern any type of subtlety with Sam Kittison. His in-your-face delivery was as straightforward as it was high volume. Much of his material seems to have come from his first two marriages. The majority of his act, if not all of it in some cases, was about them. He would talk about how women took his money, his clothing, his time, and his heart. He also had an anti-religious message that was part of many of his acts. Some comedians appear to be very departed from who they are as a person in real life, like there was a distinction between the persona and the person. The Sam Kinison seen on stage was actually fairly similar to the real Sam Kinison. So when he got up there, he was really talking about, I think at least many cases, concerns that he actually had as a person. This is a good time to take a look at his last words. I mentioned before that he seemed to be talking to someone who others could not hear during his death, like he was talking to God. I think this has struck a lot of people because Sam made it pretty clear during his life that he had no intentions of going to heaven. He once said that if you're going to miss heaven, why miss it by two inches? He went on to say that he knew he was screwed in the next life. I think his unusual apparent dialogue right before his death stood out even more because of that attitude toward the afterlife. We know that Sam Kinison believed in God. He was anti-religion, but not against God. It's hard to know what really happened after that accident. It could have been a hallucination because of the massive trauma he had just sustained. Perhaps his attitude toward God weighed heavy on his mind, so the hallucination took this form in the moment of truth, like something that really mattered a lot to him, something he would be worried about right before his death. Another possibility, of course, is that he was actually talking to God. There's no way to know if he was or he wasn't. Ozzy Osbourne, who was his sponsor in AA, seemed to believe that 
Kinnison was actually talking to God in his final moments. I find it interesting that Kinnison died at age 38 because he was quite worried about reaching the age of 40. He was told that because of the severe brain damage he sustained at age 3, he would develop seizures at around age 40. The next item I'll look at is Sam's personality, which is actually connected to that accident as well. It was reported that the accident completely changed Sam Kinnison's personality. Before the accident, he was quiet and docile. After that, he was always in trouble, loud, and outrageous. The police would regularly visit the family home when he was a child because of his activity. Sam Kinnison appeared to be high and openness to experience. He was adventurous, experienced emotions intensely, creative, and intellectually curious. He was also quite liberal. We see that he was low in conscientiousness. He was impulsive, not cautious. He had a fairly poor work ethic through much of his career. We see high extroversion. He was assertive and sensation-seeking. He had low agreeableness. Even though he was disagreeable, Sam did regret some of the offensive material he put in his act. So he was open to making some changes and kind of acknowledged his disagreeableness. As far as neuroticism, his level was very high. He was angry, anxious, depressed, and had difficulty resisting temptation. The next item I'll talk about is Sam's use of drugs. He had a familiar celebrity horror story when it came to substances. Ultimately, substances did cause his death, but it wasn't his substance use, rather the adolescent who was driving the other vehicle that collided with him. Even though Sam's drug use did not cause his death, it did dominate his life. His use disrupted shows. It cost him millions of dollars. He always ran on the edge of financial disaster, despite earning millions of dollars during his career. I think it's reasonable to believe that eventually his substance use would have led to an undesirable outcome for Sam Kinison, like something even more undesirable than he had already experienced. Some people that knew him believed that was almost certainly how he was going to die. According to the I Am Sam Kinison documentary, in 1990, Sam was making some progress in his recovery. The turning point was when his younger brother, Kevin, committed suicide. It was reported that Kevin had bipolar disorder and may have been affected by the party lifestyle that he enjoyed along with Sam Kinison. The question becomes, was Sam's recovery real? His brother, Bill, said that Sam would go on a bender every two or three months. This was after he was supposedly in recovery. But binge drinking every two or three months is not recovery. It may have represented a time where there was less destruction from substances than before, but I think it's naive to look at that behavior and say he was doing well. It's worth noting that, again, he had five drugs in his system when he died. He was operating a motor vehicle at that time. That seems highly inconsistent with somebody who had some type of meaningful recovery. This is a common tactic I see in a lot of documentaries about people who had a tragic end. The documentaries try to make it seem as though right before that person died, there was a turning point. Things were looking up. They were going to have a comeback of some type. They were going to discontinue destructive behavior. They were changing their personality, changing their relationships. I think this type of portrayal actually disrespects the message of a person's life. Their legacy should be based on reality, 
not some type of fantasy that they were really churning around. And if they had not died, everything would have been perfect or everything would have been better in their lives. This is a disturbing tendency, again, I see with so many documentaries, especially about celebrities who have gone astray. This brings me to the last item. How should Sam Kinison be remembered as a comedian? I think Sam Kinison was one of those comedians that could make just about everybody laugh in the short run. People would often feel guilty for laughing at him. But in the long run, he really didn't contribute much to comedy. He was original. I would certainly give him that. But his act was simplistic, and he did not have a lot of minutes of original and funny material. There was a lot of filler in some of his longer performances. He was a lot more like a punchline as opposed to a well-rounded comedian with a large library of jokes. His trademark scream would get a laugh, but the humor value was not enough to outweigh his offensiveness. Sometimes cleverness and wit can mitigate offensiveness, but these were not his strong suit. I think his small role in the movie Back to School is kind of an analogy for his comedic career. You have this fairly funny movie with Rodney Dangerfield with this somewhat funny moment from Sam Kinison, a momentary contribution that is not important to the overall work, but did add some value. I don't think Sam Kinison was an important comedian, even though he was quite famous, but I do think an important lesson can be learned from his life. Sam Kinison had a lot going against him, but he was still able to find a way to make millions of dollars. He went from being a failed preacher to a successful comedian. He found a career that matched his particular personality and experiences. I think that Sam Kinison was probably more complex and more talented than people give him credit for. And there is something to be said for the idea that comedy does not feel like it's dangerous anymore, like it used to when he was performing. In a way, comedy should be, at times, irreverent. In the end, however, Sam Kinison's excessive drug and alcohol use and inability to place limits on his insensitivity prevented him from reaching his potential. He really was his own worst enemy. He could certainly take credit for the success he had, but he was also responsible for limiting that success. His life was brought to an end by an accident that was likely survivable if he had been a little less impulsive and put on a seatbelt. In a way, that reality is a metaphor for his legacy, a life and career without a seatbelt, a life and career without any type of safety. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Allegedly is back for season two, a new crime every time. In each episode of Allegedly, you'll hear a crime told to you by the person who experienced it intermingled with actor portrayals, original music, immersive soundscapes, to create a cinematic experience for your ear. Season 2's stories include a young woman finding salvation in God, only to realize the leader of her church was running a sex cult, a case of a con artist swindling a kindly older man until he couldn't do anything to stop her, a landlord exploiting a mentally disabled man and keeping him a virtual prisoner, an act of bullying spinning a promising young man's life into total chaos, and a luxury boat captain inexplicably detained in a foreign prison, 
with seemingly no hope of ever getting out. New episodes release every other week. Look for Allegedly from Voyage Media anywhere you listen to podcasts.